Hello and welcome everyone. Welcome back to an all new episode of the Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. This is the show that takes a deep dive into the world of 80s cartoons and all of the glorious, glorious insanity therein. My name is Randy. I am your host on this journey as always. And man, I've got some a good episode here for you. I got a fun episode. Gonna be a little bit of a different approach than we've done here recently. The next five episodes here are all gonna be G.I. Joe. Because I just really feel like talking about an amazing five-part episode arc. And we're gonna get into that. But first, we gotta go through the normal housekeeping stuff, right? So, of course, I gotta let you know that Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast is a production of Geek World Order. Go to geekworldorder.com to keep up on all the latest latest and greatest in geeky content and media. Follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. Look up Geek World Order and Totally Radical Cartoon Podcast. You can follow Geek World Order on Twitter. You can follow Geek World Order on Instagram. Man. It's just so awesome. You know, subscribe to Geek World Order on YouTube. So much great geeky content, vlogs, photo galleries, all sorts of great stuff coming up. Cosplay. Ah, digging it, man. And today, like I said, we're looking at the first part of a five-part episode arc. G.I. Joe. We're looking at five-part miniseries, Arise, Serpentor, Arise. Man, oh, honestly, of like all the five-parters that opened the different seasons of G.I. Joe, this may be my favorite. This, this one's definitely my favorite. I think I'd rank Operation Dragonfire after that. Um... Probably the continuing adventures of G.I. Joe after that. And then, like, the mass device last. So, yeah. Wait, hold Oh, uh, wait, hold on. No. Yeah, mass device last. Oh, Revenge of Cobra. I'd probably put that one above the mass device. Yeah. Yeah, so, something like that. Around that order. But... We're going to take a look at part one in this episode, and we're going to go the next five weeks here, and we're going to look at all five parts of the series, because I couldn't just do it in one episode. I really de- I decided, you know what? Let's just go all out. Let's talk about each part. Let's do this. Let's do it in five episodes. Because, like I said, I love this miniseries. It's awesome. It's fun. Oh, it's so, it's so G.I. Joe is all I can say. So let's just start this episode off. And we see Wild Bill. Him and Roadblock are just kind of going back and forth in some friendly banter on the baseball field. So Roadblock winds up the pitch and Wild Bill hits it. And as the ball arcs over the Joe's baseball field, we see Shipwreck. He's leaned up against a tree. He's got, a, he's got some paper in his hand. He's writing. He's writing to a girl named Sally. And apparently, Sally's broken Shipwreck's heart. But that's not the only thing Shipwreck's gonna have broken. As, as the baseball lands right on his head. Because he's not really paying attention. I mean, but really, he's kind of off to the side of the baseball field. Not really where you would expect someone to be. You know, in line of a ball to be able to hit him. So, of course, the command structure of G.I. Joe walks by. And we're introduced to General Hawk, the new field commander for G.I. Joe. And he kind of laughs it off. He's like, uh, well, you better be paying attention, Shipwreck. If a pop foul can bean you, you certainly bet Cobra can. 
and another of our new characters, many of which are introduced as, as this is the opening to season two. So it's really, so they're just there. All these characters are on base, they're doing their thing. And Beachhead's like, weren't you a little soft on him? And Flint's like, listen, dude, Beachhead, the guys have seen a lot of combat lately. They really do need some R&R time. Uh, so we go to the shooting range, where our lovable odd couple duo of Leatherneck and Wetsuit. Leatherneck, a Marine, and Wetsuit, a Navy SEAL. These guys are the odd couple of G.I. Joe. They are constantly arguing with each other. But that's the, just like that na that Navy-Marine rivalry. They they egg each other on a lot during the series. But, but somehow you think they actually do deeply care about each other. And they're like really awesome friends. Probably, probably should make some memes about them or something. But they're shooting. And even... And Wetsu's like, Listen, Leatherneck. Remind me next time to stand right in front of you. That'll be the safest place. So they're talking. They're one-upping. And from behind them, just a couple of... Some laser beams. Because, you know, nobody uses bullets in G.I. Joe. It's all red lasers and blue lasers. But... Lasers... Some expert shots just spell out the words top this across the row of targets. We lean back, we pan back, and it's two more new Joes. Sci-Fi, the G.I. Joe laser trooper, uh, replacing, oh, I believe it was Zap who was the original laser trooper from like 1983. Of course, Sci-Fi with his bright neon green costume. Amazing. And low light. The, uh, uh, what's the file card referred to? Night Spotter. He's a sniper. So as they pan bag, low light gets his awesome one-liner of, come back on amateur night, clowns. So, our command structure of G.I. Joe, they're walking by, and kind of Beachhead's making some comments about the discipline slipping in this unit. For example, our new, our, another new Joe, cross country, from, hailing from the state of Alabama. And he's in, inside his, this new vehicle called the Havoc, which is a great vehicle. I love the Havoc, man. Uh, it's one of those I'm still trying to find for my collection at a, you know, decent price and fun. That's, yeah, anyway, that's, that's one of my next purchases will be a Havoc. And we find that Cross Country is installing a tape deck in his Havoc. Because this is, of course, 1986, so of course we're still using tape decks. But that's okay. Cross Country has a very valid reason for putting a tape deck in his Havoc. He's like, don't you fret numb, beachhead. This here's fine music. Um, and, uh, how do you reason this? Because... Every time I play it, somebody wants to punch me out. Uh, yep, fight music, folks. Somebody wants to fight. Yep, sounds like uh, Cross Country's been in a few bar fights here. So, Beachhead's kind of like, you know, if I were in command here, and Flint just shuts him down. He's like, um, well, no. You can't make changes because you're not in command. First comes Hawk, then Duke, then me, and then finally you. So we learn what the Joe's current command structure is. So we have General Hawk, who is obviously a general. Duke, who is a very high-ranking, he's like an E8, E9, somewhere close to that Master Sergeant range. Flint is a warrant officer. And then Beachhead is another high-ranking sergeant. Somewhere in the E7, E8 territory, I believe. Like, basically right under Duke. In terms of actual military rank. So, we go to G.I. Joe base. Where we find Lift Ticket. 
he's working on the, he's got his wrenches, and he's, well, he's got his tools, he's working on the G.I. Joe helicopter, which we know is the Tomahawk. One of the amazing, amazing vehicles of G.I. Joe. That's another one I would really like to have in my collection, but, whew, those are a bit pricey. So, he turns to another Joe, who I've talked about many times on this show. The pacifist Lifeline. He, Lift Ticket literally asked Lifeline to hand him a wrench so that he can work. Like, literally, straight up, Lifeline tells him no. Because helping him arm a rescue chopper, helping him to arm this helicopter would go against his principles of pacifism. And, folks, the, like literally just a couple scenes from this, we're going to see Lifeline getting in the helicopter. Uh, so even Beach has, like, he makes a crack about, you know, pacifist and G.I. Joe. What's happening to this outfit? Oh, and it gets better. It It just keeps getting worse here, folks. So the next thing we go is we go into a uh, a surveillance room and one of our uh, fighter jet pilots, Slipstream. Yeah, he's supposed to be on alert, but he's basically watching movies. He got a big old bowl of popcorn. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, folks, just, you know, the, the world's just most elite anti-terrorism unit. Well, we switch scenes, and we're at the St. Vitus Dance Academy, where apparently Cobra Commander has set up his latest base of operations. He's got a wall of monitors, and he's noted that the Joes have become very soft and weak. Uh, Destro is there as well, and he turns to Scrap Iron, Cobra, one of Cobra Commander's closest confidants, and asks if the bats are ready. So... Scrap Iron walks over to this uh, very robot-looking device. It's a robot. Puts a head on it, makes a few adjustments, and we pan out as it joins a whole fleet of the of the bats. And for those of you who don't know, BAT is an acronym for Battle Android Trooper, Cobra's newest weapon in the war against GI Joe. So they march outside, and the bats board a bus under the supervision of a motor viper. Looks like we've got some uh, evil schemes going on here, folks. But that's okay. We cut back to G.I. Joe headquarters, where more new G.I. Joes are introduced in the form of mainframe and dial tone to the G.I. Joe's te technology and communications specialists. And they're playing video games against each other. Whew. And uh, as we enter here, Beachhead is not very happy. He gives them a chewing out, as you know, since they should be guarding the perimeter. But, you know, Mainframe's got his AV channel set up. He's switching between channels 1, 2, and 3. He's like, listen, Beachhead, I learned this trick back in Nam. That, you know, to avoid the thousand yard stare, occasionally it helps to divert your attention. Um, why are there a bunch of school buses like, you know, uh, the perimeter of the base, you know, surrounding the perimeter of the base? Um, th this makes no sense at all. Well, ge well, General Hawk declares, declares general quarters and the alarms are sounded. So at this point, Cobra knows that the uh, alarms have sounded. So, of course, the the bus is open and it reveals Cobra stuns. More, you know, a nice weird three-wheeled hybrid car motorcycle thing. So General Hawk springs into action. He's He orders Duke to attack the flank. Because they don't want the base to get caught in a pincer's movement. Which, yeah, makes sense. Also, he orders the Joes to make a stand at the airfield. 
we cut back over to our uh, target range. Where is it? Zamalt and Tomax, the, the Cobra twins. They try to run over our group of heroes, sci-fi, low-light, leatherneck, wetsuit, but they manage to jump into a trench. And they pop up, start shooting, and basically hit nothing. Like, their aim is so bad right now, they actually cut to Tomax and Zamont, who make cracks about how bad the Joe's aim is, and how much of a poor shot they really are right now. So we cut back to the airfield, of course, our G.I. Joe's led by General Hawk. You know, you got Duke and Flint and Leatherneck, I believe Bazooka's there at that point. So, our jo the Joes are congregating and gathering at the airfield. Roadblock's there too, I believe. But of course, Hawk's like, hmm, why are they using the stuns? They don't have the power of the Hiss tanks. But also, they're also, but also the stuns are more maneuverable. So maybe they're looking for a, you know, maybe they're looking to switch up their strategy. I don't know, Hawk. They're the enemy. They're trying something new here, obviously. Duh. But as the stuns circle the, the Joes, we see the bats coming out of the buses. The Joes, they've, they fire. But they realize their shots are doing nothing. Like, they are direct hitting the bats. And they just keep advancing. I know. Looks like our heroes are... Kinda, kind of in a bad place here. But we cut back to Cobra Commander. He's on top of his stun. He's just happy as a clam. He's just awesome. He's excited. He's like, yes. He's just giving himself the old, that old pat on the shoulder there. He's like, yeah, yeah, I'm awesome here. Now it's time to finish the job. All stuns attack. You know, uh, our Crimson Guard Commander Zamot and Tomax are like, um, you know, maybe you should keep a few of these in reserve. J just in case. You know. And then Cobra Commander's like, nah, no, no. You're just jealous of me. You're jealous of my military strategy. Well, very quickly this comes back to bite Cobra Commander in the ass. Because off in the distance, we see a vehicle approaching. And, well, what do you know? You get, you're going to have to re-divert some of those stuns and troops to intercept it, huh? But no, but no. The, the vehicles that are sent towards this oncoming vehicle are very quickly knocked out of the way, including the one that Destro's on. So as the bats keep moving forward, General Hawk orders the Joes to prepare for hand-to-hand -hand combat. But as we, as the vehicle comes closer, it comes, this vehicle, this single man, open-faced, open-air tank. This thing is like, uh, this thing is like a tank and a F, this thing looks like a tank and an F1 race car had a baby. Like, it's like an open, it's like an open air vehicle, like an F1 race car, but with tank treads and beefiness to it. And from that vehicle, just a man leaps forward. This is a mustachioed, muscled beast of a man. And he just leaps towards the bats. And apparently, General Hawk realizes that Dial Tone's message must have actually been transmitted. The call for help, and we learn that none other than Sergeant Slaughter has arrived. That's right, folks. Wrestling superstar himself, Sergeant freaking Slaughter, is here. And the Joes are shocked. Like, they are just in shock and awe of this guy, straight up tackling the these robots to the ground that their guns were doing nothing against like he's beating them with his fists 
And they throw some, you know, exclamations of, oh, wow, holy cow. Um, one of them is very clearly the voice of Flint, but the animators messed up here. And um, the words that Flint said are coming out of Leatherneck's mouth. But this scene. So as the bats are piling on top of the Sarge and he's beating them and punching them with his fists, he grabs one of the bats. He grabs one of the bats and he starts a swing in it. Like he literally. He he beat a motherfucker with another motherfucker. And Sarge is like, you know, bro, seriously, Sarge could just literally handle this by himself. But he's like, hey, come on, guys. I could use some help here. Listen, there's plenty here, guys. Come on, y'all. There's plenty for you. Come on. Come on. So the Joes have turned the tide and, uh, you know, you know, Hawk leads them in a good charge. Like, let's tear them apart. Yo, Joe. So, of course, the, the Joes have turned the tide. They start taking the bats out one by one. Beachhead knocks one of the motor vipers out of the stun. So he's shooting things. He's like, and it's like, bro. So, of course, they're the Joes are, you know, Cobra retreats, the bats, just nothing. Because now that, you know, Cobra's run, nobody's there to control the bats. They have no direction. So it's like, whatever. Oh, oh, this is fun. So, yeah, a tomahawk flies by, you know, chasing the last Cobras off. The last of the bats are destroyed. And it's like, and of course, we, we cut to Flynn's like, men, you're looking at a real soldier there. So Slaughter comes up. He apologized to Hawk about dropping in late. It's like, yeah, it looks like your party was getting a little out of hand here. He's like, no, no, we're, we're kind of lucky you showed up, Sarge. And honestly, we kind of deserve to lose. And Hawk is not wrong here. He really isn't wrong. Like they were about, the Joes were about to get their asses handed to them. Like in no uncertain terms. But we're just gonna, we're just gonna leave it at that. <clears throat> so we cut back to the terror drone. You know, Cobra's commander, he's berating the troops. Destro, Tomax, Zamot, they're all there. And basically, Cobra's like, listen, your, your robots were nothing more than high-tech designer dollies. And so they were the cause of the failure in the battle. But we get this mystery man appearing from the shrouds, yelling at Cobra Commander that the bats worked perfectly. And it just, Cobra Commander didn't deploy them correctly. And so let me set the scene here, folks. The gentleman that uh, comes out of this, of the shrouds here, he's wearing pants. But he's not wearing a top, per se. He's wearing, you know, like gray tactical suspenders. He's got a cape. This man is bald with a beautiful handlebar mustache. Very, very twirlable. It looks very villainy twirlable. And he's a monocle. Because you know he's got to be evil if he has a monocle, right? We learn this is Dr. Mindbender. <coughs> who is berating the commander. But Cobra Commander's like, um, there is, um, listen, Dr. Mindbender. You may be, uh, Cobra's chief science officer and interrogator. But there's nothing in your file that classifies you as a military strategist. So the Cobra commander leaves with scrap iron and some of the guards. <coughs> well, 
Dr. Mindbender isn't exactly happy with the, uh, with the talking down he just got here. So, he tells Destro and the twins that he's been experiencing these strange recurring dreams. And he's very convinced that as we close, as we go close up into his face, that the time for a new leader is now. That's kind of a little, uh, little funky there. But apparently, uh, there's some dissension in Cobra. And apparently they think it's time to get rid of the Cobra commander. Whatever do they have in mind? So we get the close-up, a little maniacal laughter. So in this case, you know, kind of, we're at that ominous point that it's time to take a commercial break. So we'll do that, folks, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Yeah. Omni Movie uses full-size VHS tapes, plays Hollywood movies, or your own. Yes, don't miss a single Omnimovie magic moment from Panasonic, just slightly ahead of our time. This winter, some people will use a lot of energy looking for ways to keep warm, when they could be saving energy with the Amana Energy Command gas furnace. It's up to 56% more efficient than typical gas furnaces. And it's the only furnace that can heat water, too. The Energy Command from Amana a more efficient way to keep warm. Call Munster Dyer Heating and Cleaning or Heatmasters Incorporated. Pickway cuts the cost of warm feet this winter, and they do it in style. With these pile-lined snow boots in women's sizes, only $13.88. Girls' pile-lined boots, just $9.88. Boys' super light, cozy, warm moon boots, now $9.88. And men's heavy-duty felt-lined rubber packs on sale for $14.88. Keep your feet warm this winter at Pickway Shoes. Winter footwear sale. Classic zesty dills. You're a nickel short. But I like them. Look, you like them. I like them. But you're still a nickel short. Well, I don't start with the eyes because I'm not giving in. Of course I'm giving, and I always give in. Try new classic Zesty Dills. Our heartiest, spiciest dill ever. When it comes to cleaning the bathroom, let us do your dirty work so you can make a clean getaway. Dow bathroom cleaner with scrubbing bubbles. Let us do your dirty work. All right, and we are back. So we cut back to the Joe base. You know, things are pretty good here. Sarge is t talking to General Hawk. He's like, hey, all right, I'm happy to help, but I got to get back. I got a, I got a whole batch of problem recruits to deal with. And Hawk's like, listen, Sarge, why don't you stay here and work with the Joes? Why don't you whip them into shape? So Sarge thinks about it. And he likes this idea. He likes the idea of getting the Joes back into the shape that we all know they should be in. So he says, all right, slaughterhouse style training starts at 0600. Ready or not? So we cut back to the Cobra Island and it's the quarters of Dr. Mindbender. Yo, these quarters, he's got like a fancy desk. There are arcane books and scrolls all over the place but in the bed which of course has to have snake theming to it because yeah it can't be on cobra island and not have snake theming in the bedrooms but the the good doctor he's twisting and turning it doesn't seem to be having a very good sleep here So we go into Dr. Mindbender's mind, and apparently he's having a bad dream. In the air are floating numbers, square root signs, graphs, uh, all sorts of things just floating in the air. And they 
begin landing on this pile, this spiraling pile of glowing beads. And he's like, hmm, the spiral. I've seen this before. In a dream. A vision. Wait, no, sorry. Up, oh, up, oh, getting ahead of myself there. But, uh, this particular dream sequence does get referenced in G.I. Joe the movie. Um, if you're familiar with the scene where they kind of say the idea for something was implanted in Dr. Men- Mindbender's mind, uh, I'm pretty sure this dream he's having is where where they're referring to. But we'll go more into that when we talk about G.I. Joe the movie. So, in this dream sequence, a large stone being appears in front of Dr. Mindbender. And it's the shape of Cobra Commander. And of course, Mindbender's trying to like, oh, oh, it's me. I'm loyal. But... Cobra Commander, this stone Cobra Commander starts shooting lightning bolts at him. He's about to step on him. And, you know, Mindbender's begging for his life. And just a tube with a liquid fall just appears in front of him. So he grabs it and he chucks it at the stone Cobra Commander. And the liquid makes him crumble. Just, just, you know, can't. Man, Cobra Commander and chemicals. Okay, once again. Okay, I need to stop myself before I go into a full-blown G.I. Joe, the movie discussion here. Once again. Wow. I'm going to need to re... Yeah, I'm going to need to rewatch this episode when I go... When I actually do a G.I. Joe, the movie review. Because there's a lot of things that are going to be referenced uh, from this episode, I believe. That will tie into that. So, Dr. Mindbender looks up at the spiral of light again, and it swirls him up. He's caught in this, uh, you know, tornado effect, and he begins to hear a heartbeat. Bump, 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 bump. Like, we're starting to get all telltale heart kind of level freaky here. He's like... But for some reason, hearing this heartbeat and then just an image that's a very reptilian snake looking, looks like a snake head on a man body. He's like, yes, if we cannot find a new leader, we will make one. So we cut back to the G.I. Joe headquarters. It's 0600. Alarms start going off, and all of the Joes rush out of their bed. Sergeant Slaughter is on top of his tank, which is which is called the Triple T Tank. Um, of course, Sergeant Slaughter, the wrestler, had his uh, agreement with Hasbro and all sorts of greats, you know, to come and make these action figures be a part of this line. And so the Triple T is the Tag Team Terminator. It's an awesome vehicle. I love it. It's a great vehicle. I love it. Uh, it's actually one I have in my collection. So glad to have it. But, so Slaughter comes up. He's like, good morning, sleepyheads. So he goes on the spiel. He jumps off the Triple T. It's time to start training. It's like, give your hearts to America, Joes, because your butts belong to me. So he starts out. He yells at the Joes to start running. And General Hawk comes up to the stars like, all right, it's good good to see the Joes are getting the training they need. It's like, Slaughter's like, happy to hear it. But, uh, you're a Joe, too. So you're gonna join them. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, listen, I don't think that's how that works. 
A drill sergeant, I don't believe, can order a general around in these kind of situations. But you know what? We're just going to use this as a symbolic order. I think it's understood by Hawk that it's like, you know, maybe I should join them. I should be the leader, and I, the leader that I am, and I should join my troops out there in in this training you know, this resharpening of this refocusing of the Joe team. So yeah, you know what? I'm going to get out there and do this with my troops and show them I'm with them. So, hey. All right. So um, that's what I'm thinking. It's kind of one of those unspoken bond kind of scenes, you know, just kind of getting, you know, motivating Hawk to be a leader. So we switch over to the uh they're running yep so we go into a training room we see the various joes and they're you know doing drills with each other and saw the sarge is like come on pathetic i got an arthritic grandmother that can beat the whole lot of you so he's egging him on Leatherneck's just like, talk is cheap, Sarge. And Wetsuit's like, oh yeah? Why don't you prove it? So, Sarge decides to prove it. He goes, all right, face me. All of you. And so apparently, the Joes didn't learn from the confrontation with the Bats... <coughs> that um, Sergeant Slaughter could easily take them all one at a time. And, well, they pile on him, and Sarge breaks up the pile. Did I make my point? So we move on to another scene of training. The Joes are in their full gears with their guns, running through a, up, up in the rain, uphill, you know, if this was our grandparents, they'd be, you know, they'd be running. It'd be a 15-mile run. It'd still be uphill, but it would be r snow instead of rain. But they're getting, you know, they're getting it. They're getting the swing of it, man. Roadblocks leading some marching cadences. They're yelling, yo, Joe, yo, Joe. And they're getting there. Sarge is it's like, yeah, cool. The better, not perfect. But definitely getting better. So we cut back to the uh, Cobra Island, the Terradrome again. And now we're in a conference room. A beautiful, ornate office. You know, you've got Mindbender, Destro, uh, Zamot, Tomax. Just some random Cobra officers? Okay. And he's like, and so, of course... Only the best meetings, because you gotta start with... Nobody must... The Cobra Commander must never find out about this meeting. Or it could... Or... Basically, they could all be super fucked. But... You know, of course Cobra Commander has to find out about the meeting. Because there's a fly in the room. And it's not just any fly. It is a robot fly built by Scrap Iron... So it's just on the ceiling, and it's just sending Cobra Commander a live video feed of this whole thing. And even, you know, Cobra Commander's like, excellent work, Scrap Iron. You know, because he's a benevolent commander. He likes to compliment his, you know, his, his underlings when they do something right. So Cobra Com so Scrap Iron did something right. They're watching the meeting. So Dr. Mindbender gets up and he's got a PowerPoint presentation. But what is his PowerPoint presentation about? Well, folks, that spiral that he saw in his dream, that double spiral, well, we've seen the drawings of it in our uh, health and science textbooks. It's a DNA strand. 
Yes, folks, deoxyribonucleic acid, the building block of life. And Dr. Mindbender's plan is that he's going to go and visit some of the tombs of history's most infamous conquerors. Genghis Khan, Napoleon, Ivan the Terrible, Alexander the Great, a molecule here, DNA there. And he's going to combine them and make DNA soup to create a handcraft, a local handcrafted IPA. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> nope, actually, nope. I'm sorry. The perfect leader, the Cobra Emperor. But before Dr. Mindbender can even begin to talk about the plans of his his uh, homebrew Cobra Emperor, we cut back to the Cobra Commander. He smashes his panel and screams, Never! And so, not only does Cobra Commander barge into this conference room, like, he doesn't just, like, open the door, like, let it fling. He blows up the door. Literally has it blown away, exploded. He runs in, all pomp and circumstance, accusing everyone in the room of committing treason. So, he's got them surrounded and by the Crimson Guard. His own elite personal guard. He's like, I'm never going to let this happen. He's like, and Dr. Mindbender's like, are you sure about that? Like, literally, like, as if it were a command. The Crimson Guards, once again, who are Cobra Commander's personal guard, basically his secret service, they turn around and point their guns at him. So Cobra Commander's a little nervous at this point. He's like, you know, why, why squabble amongst ourselves? We have G.I. Joe as a common enemy. You, you know what? You know what? You know, just go ahead and build your Cobra leader. Go, go ahead and make your Cobra leader. Sure, I'll follow him into victory. Oh, and, um, yeah, um, get somebody to fix this door, too. So, Dr. Mindbender is very confused. He's like, um, I, I think we won. And Destro's like, um, yeah, no. Um, Mindbender, slow, uh, slow, just slow your roll here. Don't get too ahead of yourself. Might have a plan. So, we scroll down. Cobra Commander's just, you know, idly walking down the hall. And Scrap Iron's like, you're not really going to give in to those traitors' demands, are you? Oh my god, the, 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 this, this scene, dude. So, Cobra Commander just look. he just points at, uh, so, Cobra Commander's not in his normal battle helmet. He's wearing the hood, the blue hood. He just points at his face. He goes, is this the face of a patsy? I, I, I don't think the viewer's expecting a line like that. Scrap Iron's not expecting that. He's like, no, 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 of course not. Of course not. And Cobra's like, listen, this is either going to be something great or it's going to be an epic failure but either way i'll sit there and master i will expertly and masterfully manipulate this leader i'll become an even greater power behind the throne so yes cobra commander has nefarious plans of course because he's cobra commander he's an 80s villain come on guys why isn't he gonna have you know, nefarious plans. So anyway, we cut back to Joe headquarters. Duke is marching with some generic green shirts. He gives Hawk a salute. You know, Hawk's talking to Slaughter. He's like, you know, the Joes are looking really sharp again. 
And he's like, Sarge's like, listen, Hawk, they were always good. They just forgot what it takes to stay that way. But that's okay. We're going to get our, they're going to get a chance to redeem themselves. Because right at that moment, the alarms start blaring again. Dial tone comes over the PA and announces that a Cobra Night Raven has invaded American airspace. So we get a team assembled. Slipstream gets into the Conquest X-30, uh, the new jet that's going to be the primary jet over the Sky Strikers. And we get Lift Ticket and Lifeline heading into a Tomahawk to, to provide rescue backup. And they're on their way. So Slipstream comes in and we see the Night Raven. The Cobra Night Raven is very reminiscent of like a like a Blackbird. Like an SR-71 Blackbird. Kind of sleeked back, looking evil. Very much in that kind of vein of aircraft. So, but also the Night Raven has a secondary module to it. It has a smaller drone ship they can break off. And now both of these errands are heading directly towards Slipstream. And strips Slipstream just sitting like, uh-oh. As these as these jets both fire missiles. It's like, I'm about to be the I'm about to be the filling in a missile sandwich. Uh, Slipstream, voiced by Dan Gilvazon, who you may know as Bumblebee from the Transformers. Awesome. So yeah, Slipstream is just kind of sitting there. He's got missiles it heading his way. It's like, things are not looking good for Slipstream here, folks, but that's okay. But is Slipstream going to be okay? I don't know. Because as we know, when the tension rises... We got to take a commercial break, so we'll do that here, folks, and uh, we'll be back in just a moment. Oh, you ain't got the thing if you ain't got that thing. Oh, you ain't got a thing if you ain't got that cling. Handy Wrap 2 with Cling Plus has twice as much cling as old Handy Wrap, so it seals in freshness and flavor longer. Embassy Night at the Movies presentation of Zapped. Starring Scott Bale, Heather Thomas, and Willie Ames. We'll return in a moment. Enter the world of Timex Quartz. Great looks that can take a licking. The Timex Triathlon has an eight-lap memory chronograph. It's for men and women of iron. This Timex Sports Quartz is water-resistant to 100 meters. The Timex Black Max Quartz, flat-out excitement. The world of Timex Quartz is tough to beat. I want to fly out to Hawaii, see the ocean blue. Go places that I've never been, do the things I love to do. American Airlines can fly you round-trip to Honolulu or Maui at a price you've only dreamed of. So let us take you there. We're American Airlines. Something special in the air. All right, and we are back. So, of course, Slipstream's not in any danger. He's the expert pilot here. He he angles up at the last second. The missiles hit. They explode. But he's still got to deal with the Night Raven and the and the drone part of the jet. So he's working on them. They're shooting, and he managed to do some nice some nice uh, flying here. And eventually, he caught he makes it so that the drone and the main part of the Night Raven crash into each other. The pilots eject. They get away because you know people can't die. So of course. Lift Ticket lands the Tomahawk. Him and Lifeline get out. And they find something. They find a Cobra message pod. So we cut back to Joe headquarters. Mainframe is looking around. He's examining the message pod. 
And he pulls out a couple of items. A large gold brick and a roll of parchment that he hands to Hawk. He looks at the message and Hawk realizes like it's a it's a message from Dr. Mindbender. He sent to communicate to Zartan and the Dreadnoughts. And and the Sarge, Sarge and Slaughter, he's like, "You mean they can read?" <laughs> so we we go to the Joe's auditorium. The Joes are there. And well, Hawks now got some good news here. So he communicates to the entire Jove team that that Cobra message pod contains a contract between Dr. Mindbender and Zartan for a very important mission. So important that Zartan has to bring in some backup. And we learn that Zartan has a brother and sister, Xandar and Zorana. So, we see how serious of a mission it is as Hawk holds up the go the gold brick and it's like, you know, the parchment. And we learn that this is a very... Oh, sorry, it's the Sarge that raises the gold brick. And it's like, this is Zartan's very heavy down payment. But also, we learned in addition to Xandar and Zorana, that... Zartan is looking to hire at least one new Dreadnought. General Hawk asks for some volunteers. Sergeant Slaughter, uh, volunteers? One, two, three. He points at himself, Lola, and Beachhead, who are right there on the stage, and they are assigned to infiltrate the meeting and find out what is going on and find out more information. So we cut to the swamps and we see this assortment of bikers and riffraff and we learn that they have assembled for the first annual audition for entry into the membership of the Dreadnoughts. And Zartan has told, has made it very clear to his contestants that the rules are simple. Of course, to match the collective IQ of the group of individuals standing in front of him. Every man for himself, whoever is left standing at the end of the audition, will be the new Dreadnought. And there's a man who has a fine, fine beard and aviator sunglasses. And he says, that will be me. To which another... Uh, some fat, some just fat guy on a motorcycle is like, that's what you think. I'll be, you'll be the first to fall. That's what you think, fat stuff. So our man in the sunglasses, he just, he just slips something into the biker's pouch. Zartan gives the signal to start auditioning. So, as the brawl begins, the biker, who was talking to our sunglassed man, he rides out, makes us, and circles back. He's got a chain of swinging. He's ready to take this guy out. But just right as he gets up to this guy, boom! Explosion. His bike is knocked over. He's knocked out of the competition. Because that was a bomb that was slipped into his pouch. So they keep going. And, and it's like, Lola's like, should we make a move? And Slaughter's like, no, no. Uh, this might almost be over. And it really is over at that point because a stun grenade goes off. And everyone falls to the ground. Except for one man. And who? Who is that one individual who hasn't fallen down? Of course, it's our mystery man with the sunglasses. And Xandar goes, He used stun grenades! That's cheating! Wait. Oh, 
Zartan only said there was one rule. Last man standing wins. That was it. He's like, of course it's cheating. What did you expect? Sportsmanship? And we learned that our mystery man in sunglasses goes by the name of Monkey Wrench. And he has several hobbies, which include heavy metal, unprovoked mayhem, and explosions. Loud explosions. But another challenger approaches as a man wearing a a very Mad Max-looking gray uh, football armor, some green streaks in his hair. And he proclaims that he is the only applicable suitable for the role of New Dreadnought. He introduces himself as Thrasher. So the other Dreadnought go, Oh, well, what do you know? He stayed behind while all the others did the, did the work. And Thrash replies, um, yes. And this proves my intelligence. A quality lacking in your current Dreadnoughts. Well, our original three Dreadnoughts, Buzzer, Ripper, and Torch, mm, not exactly enthused by those statements Thrasher's making. So they grab him. And they chuck him into a. They chuck him into the river. So, Thrasher is muddy and swampy and embarrassed. The Dreadnoughts are having a good laugh about it, but as they're slightly distracted, Slaughter, Lowlight, and Beachhead surround Zartan and his crew. And Slaughter threatens to rotate someone's ears if they don't talk. But at that moment, Zorana strikes a match and tries to burn the parchment with, the, you know, with the contract details. Lowlight goes, not so fast, Sister Z, knocks the parchment out of her hand, and he stomps out the fire. So, there's enough left that it gives the details about the plans to rob the graves of history's infamous leaders. But the details as to why they're doing this have gone up in smoke. Oh, at this point, Thrasher drives back up in a big old honking vehicle here. This looks like a pickup truck with the front end of a Pontiac Firebird and a jet engine on the back. Oh, the Thunder Machine is awesome. It is like dystopian Mad Max 80s awesomeness. And he pops open the door. He's like, listen, Zartan, I came to repay you for your insolence, but I'll take care of your enemies here for you. So Zartan agrees. And, he, you know, yes, sure. You deal with them and you'll be a member of the Dreadnoughts. So the Joes run. They come across a cabin in the woods, and they decide to make their stand here. Thrasher is driving up, guns a-blazing. He's making threats. What's going to happen to our heroes? Are they going to... Are they going to be okay? Are they going to survive? Well, we don't know. Because we get those dreaded, dreaded words. To be continued. Yes, folks, and that is part one of Arise, Serpentor Arise. Uh, stay tuned as we go through the rest of these episodes. Of course, follow us on social media. Like, give us the like, give us the reviews, give us the thumbs up anywhere you go. You know, share our social media statuses, all that fun stuff. And I'll see you next time, guys.